Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. And today is a part two of why great leaders are great grievers. Why great leaders are great grievers. And, uh, you know, why this is so true. Now, again, in our culture, going downward uh, is seen as a bad thing. And we really have a a secular spirituality of, of ascending, going up. You know, the stock market, if it's going down, it's bad. If uh, you're in school and uh, your grades are going down, that's bad. If your retirement funds and 401 or 401k or 403b is going down, that's bad. If your credit rate is going down, that's bad. You know, if you're if you're losing people in your church or ministry or customers, it's bad. Uh, if your popular if your popularity is going down, if, especially if you're in the arts or music or politics, uh, that's considered bad. But for Jesus, you know, going down is actually good. Uh, his spirituality is one of descent, and actually it's the only way uh, to real transformation. And there are certain biblical truths that can only be locked from the inside, uh, things like prayer and Sabbath and scripture. Well, the same thing with why great leaders are great grievers also can only be understood from the inside because uh, we, we, can't, we have to actually live it. And again, in, in a culture, our culture, which is so into fixing and arranging and controlling, and upwardly mobile, this issue of grief is very difficult for us to get a hand on, handle on. So just just think with me for all, all the great leaders in Scripture who are great grievers. Uh, Jesus, for one, uh, you know, Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah, I mean, just what he went through ends up eventually getting sought in two. I mean, Jeremiah, a uh, great griever, called a man of sorrows. Uh, Moses, my goodness, you know, 40 years exiled uh, in Midian, you know, living in the desert. I think of the Apostle Peter, you know, great failure uh, in, uh, my goodness, it it took grief to break him. Uh, I mean, he would have been unmanageable if it hadn't been for his uh, fall in those denials. I can't imagine what it would have been like. And even uh, after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus says, you know, when you're older, someone else is going to lead you where you do not want to go. I mean, no, there's going to be uh, grief. There's going to be suffering, Peter, in your future. And Peter immediately does, wants to go another route. He points, what about what about him, referring to John? Uh, Paul as well, great uh, grief. And again, today we're going to talk about, I'm going to mention towards the end here, talk about Job a bit, because I think Job is a great leader who is also a great griever. Uh, but I think even... You know, just I just took a couple minutes here and just thought about who are some you know people I know who are great leaders who are also great grievers. And I I remember reading Nelson Mandela's thousand plus page biography, autobiography, and being so struck by it was his you know decades in prison uh, and really the grief that he experienced under apartheid in South Africa uh, for decades. That when he emerged out of that. Uh, the one thing that was clear about him is that he was a magnanimous, uh, he was anchored, uh, and he really was a great leader at that time in South Africa that preserved that country from uh, what could have been a, a terrific civil war, a horrific, horrific civil war. I think of Mother Teresa. If you've read her biography and uh, you know the, her journals that were published after she died, uh, she was a great griever. Uh, she had her own great grief personally, and of course she grieved deeply over the conditions of the poor in uh, India. And then I think of one of my mentors who, uh, one of my greatest mentors, 
who really his ministry came out of great grief and the loss of a son at 20 years old uh, and uh, just took his whole life in a different direction from be, being a you know, globally known uh, you know, communicator, Christian leader, to uh, a mentor and a very wise man and uh, you know, now in his 80s. And, but really a great leader, but also a great griever. Now, again, when I talk about grieving, I'm not talking about, you know, we roll over dead or being irresponsible or giving up on life or being a doormat. Uh, I'm talking about getting to a place where the reason you're a great leader if you're a great griever is because you're actually free from what people think about you. You're not trying to impress anybody any longer. You you realize the, the absurdity of earthly success and power and fame and all that. You're not comparing yourself anymore. You've died to that. You're not trying to fix everyone around you anymore. You're much better at letting go. Uh, you're not grasping. Uh, but great grievers aren't walking around with entitlement, regardless of how much earthly power they may have. And, and really, great grievers who are in leadership are soft. They're, they're free. They're, they're clear in their uh, thinking, in their sight. They're, they're actually humble and broken. And, and suffering does a work in us that is just, it can't be done any other way. And it kind of no, knocks the stuffing out of you. If, you. if you'll do it God's way, uh, it will make you a great leader uh, because all wisdom is going to flow out of that. And or a lot of wisdom is going to flow out of that grief. And it, 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 it even breaks temptations that come our way uh, in the long term. And uh, again, I think of David, who we talked about last week in part one, as just a great leader. And out of his own grief, and he had many in his life, uh, some he brought on himself, others came to him. But uh, to be able to write Psalm 51 about his murder and adultery, and he writes that psalm of repentance to be sung in church, and able to say that God delights not in sacrifice, but in a broken spirit. I mean, he's just, he's just, he's got a level of freedom in his life of not trying to impress anybody but he is a great leader of, as a man after God's own heart, but a very free one. Uh, but again, that came out of a grief. And again, one of the fundamental issues of life is how we respond to loss. Uh, it's a major discipleship issue, major, not minor. Uh, it's a major theme in Scripture. We have a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. And uh, Jesus himself it says, offered up, offered up prayer and petitions with loud cries and tears in Hebrews, and that God grieved that he made humanity in uh, Genesis chapter 6. And so last week I talked about big and small losses and that come into our ways, our lives, everything from transitions of, uh, to our histories to you know major deaths that come our way. But what we're talking here about maturing, about becoming a great leader, uh, and which requires that we follow that path of Jesus and we get a real handle on, on grieving well too. And so, again, especially for leaders, I, I, I think that the losses that come our way have a, a larger degree of um, maybe volume and intensity. That, I mean, there's just there's dreams that are shattered or people leaving us. And there's hurts and betrayals. And there's a lot of forgiving you've got to do if you're in leadership, a lot of letting go because there, there's lots of hurts. Uh, so we've got to learn it so well so that we can then disciple others in it. We, we can lead our people in it. We can we can help them mature and grow up because if we don't, we end up being babies. You know, Hebrews talks about some certain food is for the mature, you know, solid food. And 
sadly, we have such a, 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 a significant babiness in our in our churches. And you know, just just think of you know us now. We're the we're in leadership. You know, serving and leading other people. But babies want instant gratifications. They they can't say no. They have unrealistic expectations. Right? That Christian life's awesome. Everything's going to be perfect. Babies need to be in control. Uh, they don't take responsibility. Babies blame a lot. Babies aren't thankful. They don't forgive. Uh, life is black and white. They don't listen. Uh, well, they're self-absorbed. Babies have a low tolerance for pain. Uh, they're a very restricted diet, and they only love those who love them. I mean, and, and so if we're thinking about growing up, um, we have to grab hold of, again, this theme of grieving uh, well or grieving God's way. What is sad is many followers of Christ, and actually many leaders as well, uh, lose courage, can't see what God's doing, and actually turn back and abandon the journey. Uh, still maybe in church, still serving uh, externally, but in the in heart have grown hard and shut down. And that's why uh, for me, and that's why for us, uh, you know, as a ministry here, it's so critical that we, we make some major shifts in the way we're doing discipleship in our churches. And I uh, and this is a, a, a much larger issue that I can do in a podcast, but but we've got to get serious about discipleship in our own lives and in our people if we're going to lead, because leadership is what leadership is is high level serious discipleship, uh, and we've got to experience the Bible and not just read it. We have to actually do it. So again, let me invite you to uh, pick up the emotionally healthy discipleship courses leaders kit. Uh, get into this material, begin to walk it out. It's two eight-week uh, courses, part A and part B. And if you're living in anywhere within a you know, three, four-hour radius of Richmond, Virginia, on May 4th, uh, Jerry and I are going to actually be there on a Friday all day and doing a training on how do you lead uh, this course in, into your ministry or church. Uh, and our second live training event that we've done and uh, I want to invite you to come May 4th uh, on Friday. If you're anywhere near Richmond, Virginia, uh, you can go on a website there, our website or Bonaire's website uh, there in Richmond, Virginia. And actually, May 31st will be our next live stream, May 31st, on how to train and how do you bring this discipleship into your church. And I invite you and encourage you to pick that up. So the church has very little theology uh, for anger, sadness, waiting, and depression. And again, the course will touch on that quite strongly. Uh but and the result is that it has devastating consequences to us emotionally and spiritually, our relationships. But this is the ordinary way that we're going to grow and mature in Christ. And in fact, it's uh, Walter Brueggemann's a great theologian, uh, Old Testament theologian, and he's written about how the three great movements of the spiritual life are found in the Psalms: uh, orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. That the Christian life is a movement from those three stages. We're oriented, where everything's you know kind of working well or solid. And then we find ourselves sometimes quite suddenly, uh, through a variety of reasons, dis- disoriented. It happens, you know, with hurts or losses or dislocations. And we find ourselves overwhelmed or being destroyed or, you know, again, cancers or brain tumors or divorces or pains in marriages or, or you know, innocence lost or hospitalized children or, you know, life-threatening illnesses or job security shot in an instance or wayward children or wayward grandchildren or, you know, hate or bitterness emerging in a relationship or God feeling distant or, you know, and sometimes we even bring it on ourselves. And, 
you know, we hit this you know, suffering and evil is, is such a mystery. I mean, it's a great mystery of the universe, and I don't surely understand it. But I do know this, that suffering has an incredible capacity to break us. Uh, like wild horses need to be broken. Uh, our inner character needs to be matured. And just like a butterfly has got to beat its wing against the wall in a cocoon to kind of break free, and there's a struggle, and slowly you'll see that butterfly escape out of that, I mean, that cocoon and then fly. Without that struggle and death process in the cocoon, there is no butterfly flying. And it's got to go through that natural process. And I, I love Jean-Pierre de Cassade. He's a French Jesuit from the 1700s. And he said this, that God instructs the heart not through ideas, but through suffering and adversity. And I'll say that again. It's very important that God instructs the heart not through ideas, but through suffering and adversity. And so, again, God allows these losses or griefs to come into our lives. And the great challenge is that we then uh, move through them God's way, which is what I want to talk to you about today uh, for the final part of this podcast. And I want to look at Job. Uh, who actually walks through it powerfully in a tremendous story, and I encourage you to read the book when you get a chance. Uh, it's my favorite, uh, probably, story of, of loss and grief. It, the first book of the Bible, they say, ever written. Uh, and uh, he, he walks through this loss, and actually it's a dark night as well of the soul, But because he uh, he's described in the first chapter of Job as the, as the wealthiest person of the East. And I mean, he'd be on the front cover of Fortune magazine. His wealth is staggering with 7,000 sheep and uh, 3,000 camels and 500 yoke, which would be like saying he has Lexuses and helicopters and private jets and real estate. Tremendous status, and he's faithful to God, devoted, and he has integrity. He's described as blameless, which means not that he's sinless, but he's, he fears God and he has integrity and, uh, with God and walks with God. But then all the forces of heaven and hell come against him, and enemies, lightning, tornadoes, and in an afternoon, he loses all of his prosperity, and all 10 of his children die. Um, if you can imagine burying one child, this guy buried 10, um, and the unthinkable has happened. One of the world's richest men, apparently so externally blessed, uh, has become poor. Uh, he loses his wealth, uh, and then he loses his family. And then he gets sick on top of that in chapter 2, sores on his back. It's described as horrific, you know, disease. He's unrecognizable. His friends don't recognize him. And he's just humbled and broken. He leaves the city sitting in an ash heap with outcasts. And even his own wife has had enough. And, uh, you know, his health is now bad. And so now his wife says, you know, curse God and die. I mean, it's just... And what makes Job such an important book is it's not just that he's suffering, it's undeserved suffering. Uh, And there's no real connection between the amount of wrong that he commits and the amount of pain we experience. That's true for ourselves as well, isn't it? It's bewildering. But he goes through this loss. And and this is really this. I'm going to give you three points that are my summation uh, of what does it mean to biblically do grief and loss? And again, we don't do it like the culture. Uh, and again, you, those of you listening to my voice, you come from all different families of origin, all different cultures, the ways that you handled grief and the way again, we know our culture does it. Uh, everything from getting angry and blaming to going in deep depression to rationalizing to denying and becoming an empty shell on the outside uh, to going into addictive behaviors 
Uh, you know, our, again, our, our culture has, has very little capacity for, for grieving. It's almost lost. We're so busy trying to stay in control. And again, you can't, you can't even understand forgiveness and without grief uh, as a part of that. And so again, it, it's unbiblical and inhuman uh, to ignore grief or minimize it or rationalize it or suppress it. Uh, and so what Job does is Job moves through it brilliantly. So he does the three phases. And in fact, if you've read uh, any of my books, Emotionally Church, Leader, it's in different places, uh, these three phases. I pay attention to it. I wait on the Lord in this confusing in between, number two. And then thirdly, I let the old birth the new. Those are the three basic phases. I, I keep them, those three things locked in my head because while they overlap often, they are distinct phases. And as I encounter losses and griefs in my life, and I find myself in anger, especially, which is my, you know, or wanting to suppress it. I remember David. I remember Job. I remember the biblical teaching. Say, okay, Pete, you're not doing your family of origin, which didn't do grief well. Uh, we did yelling and screaming or minimized it. We're not doing the culture uh, with ignores it. We're actually doing scripture and uh, we're doing it God's way. And uh, so uh, let me just take you through Job and uh as a, as a great example for us, I mean, Job, he pays attention to it. I mean, he, number one, he, he enters that phase. And as soon as all this catastrophe hits him, uh, for really 35 chapters, uh, he is grieving. And he is paying attention to it. He's like, he pours out his soul before God. He, he curses the day of his birth. He's in deep depression. He's actually suicidal. And he actually, he can't see any reason to keep on living. He shouts at God. His prayers are wild. But he's so honest. He's so real. He's so unpretentious. He tells God exactly how he feels. Uh, again, much like David did in the Psalms. Two-thirds of the Psalms are, are, are griefs and laments. Just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus doesn't, doesn't spin it. Um, he falls in the, uh, on the ground, you know, troubled and, and depressed. Uh, he's not playing this great victory. You know, he's a God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I mean, Jeremiah, again, he struggles with suicide. He curses the day of his birth. And, and again, so unlike us uh, in our culture, more, bigger, better, healthier, look younger, go up. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's an incredible contrast. And, and that's why Jesus says, the third beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And, it doesn't mean I don't hold joy in life. I don't. I don't believe in the resurrection. But we hold as Christ followers joy and sadness together. Where the world can be suffering, but I still can have joy in God. And that's why she said there's a blessing for those who mourn. And so there's a there's something profound that happens in our soil as we pay attention to it and we do it before God, like Job did. Thirty five chapters. I don't know if this was years, months. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But thirty five chapters is a long time. And then secondly, Job does enter in those, in those 35 chapters into, does, not just pays attention to it and feels it, he actually waits on the Lord in that confusing in between. He stays with God, uh, even though he is bewildered. And loss is bewildering. Now, I'm, I'm defining this as, as he's, he's waiting. It's, this, it's, it's, it's kind of expectant, painful sometimes, clinging to God. Uh, it's saying, I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to stay with you, even though things aren't turning out the way I would like or may never turn out the way I like, but I've got no plan B besides you. And, and this waiting on the Lord is, is perhaps one of the hardest things we do, especially as leaders. 
uh, it is just challenging. And just think with me of, of the biblical examples we've got of leaders waiting in, in a confusing in-between. You've got uh, Abraham, 75 years old. He, he's told he's going to have a child. He waits another 25, 24, 25 years of waiting. Joseph waited 10 to 13 years. Uh, Moses waited 40. Israel waited 400 years, groaning. And, uh, and then there was, they came out of Egypt, and they had 40 years of waiting in the wilderness. I mean, David had probably 10 to 15 years of significant suffering, of waiting between the time he was being chased by Saul and actually became king with a lot of battles and all appeared lost. Uh, I mean, 43 times in the Old Testament were commanded, wait on the Lord. Uh, the disciples, the 12 disciples had to learn to wait. Uh, and I mean, think of Jesus coming to them at three o'clock in the morning on a storm. I mean, Paul, some scholars say, spent half his ministry in prison. And uh, again, think of Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea, Daniel, Ezekiel. I mean, the list can just go on. But this waiting, this this confusing between, uh, I hate uh, not just waiting, I, I hate loss. I, I Because I, I like to be in control. Like, that's why you're listening to me because you want to grow in your leadership. But uh, great leaders are great grievers because God has to somehow break that control thing in us uh, that he's got the future we don't. And to help us understand that we, we don't hold the keys to the future, that we're not holding on to anything. And actually, the story of Job is the story of all of us. We will lose everything in our earthly lives, all of our health, all of our wealth, and all of our status. I mean, you will die before God with nothing. And it was Jonathan Edwards who wrote a great series of sermons on the story of Job is the story of us all. And that is that uh, we will all lose everything. What's interesting is Job has these three friends that um, come to him, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad. And, uh, you know, they basically say to him, Job, the reason you're suffering is because you've sinned. And, uh, you know, they're quoting you know, basically, you, you're reaping what you've sown. And uh, they got a, what's called a classic religious legalist view. And you're not, you know, Job, you're not living a, a good life. And uh, you don't pray enough, fast enough, you're not holy enough. And we all go down those routes, don't we, about ourselves uh, when when we're going through loss. And, uh, you know, basically, they, they torture Job. They, they And if anything, Job, is, the book of Job is, it's an attack on religion. Because uh, Job's an innocent, good sufferer. He's not suffering because of his sins. And uh, the whole book of Job is an attack on religion. And what, I, one of the things that grief and loss does to you and does to us as leaders, it gets rid of all pretension, all religiousness, uh, because it, it takes you into mystery. It takes you into things that are not black and white. And Job has a lot of questions. Uh, his religious friends have just answers and conclusions. That's their sin. They play God. And, uh, and they torment Job. And so in, in Job is a protest against religion that reduces God to explanations and answers. And have you ever been with people? They, for all their apparent wisdom, they give you counsel when you're in pain and you feel worse. And Job has to fight his friends who, who believe they know God. But he's in that confusing in between that second phase. And it is confusing. And uh, so, you know, if they were really humble as friends, they would have been more, more silent. You know, I was asked a question this past week uh, after the first podcast was, are you, you know, Pete, can you speak to the question of uh, the loss and grief surrounding a suicide? What's a healthy way for a loved one to walk through this? And and my answer is, I don't know. I mean, that's incredibly 
uh, challenging and painful, and I've spoken to people in that situation. And I, I think people's experience of grief is different, uh, and there is no one method. I think these three phases are, are very helpful to give yourself give give that person permission to pay attention to it, and feel it, absorb it in their soul, uh, let their soul be enlarged by it, uh, and. You're waiting on God with it. You just you just the confusion of it, uh, and then all that uh, pain of oh my gosh, is it my fault and all all of that. And I, I think we end up where, where Job is not like Job's friend trying to give explanations for it. Job's friends should have just been present with him, uh, the three friends, rather than give him answers. And around something as. Uh, deadly or challenging or painful as a, uh, a friend of yours who has someone who's committed suicide in their family or a close friend, uh, to be present is the great gift. Uh, you know, I, I like what Eugene Peterson once said, and I, I, he said, every time we persist with Job in rejecting the quick fix counsel of people, uh, we deepen our availability and openness to revelation that can only come out of the storm. Uh, and again, it's not mine to give the revelation to anyone who's been in deep grief, but I do want to be present and be silent and be very cautious in giving advice. Uh, and again, that goes against our whole culture, doesn't it? But this issue of grief and loss goes to the very heart of waiting on God. But I can just assure you of this, and this is really important to communicate, that we can say with some authority, uh, when I'm suffering, or if you're suffering right now, you find yourself in grief and loss, one thing you can be sure of, you're not paying for your sins. And the reason I know that, because Jesus paid for your sins, and we only need one payment for sin, uh, not two. His blood was sufficient uh, at that cross to take care of all of your sins, past, present, and future, and mine, and the world's. And so there's just a, there's a lot of mystery that we don't understand, and it's fine. God's given us a revelation that he is good as love endures forever and enough to hold on to him and trust him even when, we, even when it, we're in a valley, even when uh, it is, uh, it's obscure. We find ourselves uh, and we can't see in darkness. And Jesus did that, uh, models it for us and walks us through that. So do I have an answer for the friend, the loved one who's walking through uh, suicide? The answer is no, I don't. But I will stay with them and point them, of course, uh, to Jesus as graciously, kindly as possible. But there is a third phase which is important here. So I, I pay attention before the Lord. I, I wait on the confusing in between with the Lord. And again, I, that's why I love the Psalms and I encourage you to read the Psalms, pray the Psalms. But the third phase is I, I, I let the old birth something new. And see, good grieving is not just letting go. It's also letting it bless us. See, there are consequences of not walking through this process. We, you know, if, if we bury our feelings, you know, time freezes. Uh, some people get locked in time, uh, either in the dreams of their past or the emotions of the present or the dread of the future, and they refuse to engage in the relationships that are right in front of them. Uh, or sometimes relationships uh, get rigid. Families have closed down. I know my family... Uh, at uh, my brother left home prematurely, and it was a big mess. And my parents had a lot of shame. The family shut down, closed in, uh, and uh, very often people stop attaching, uh, 
and I'll never trust anybody again. Many folks, again, if we don't let the old, don't let don't let the grief and loss bless us eventually, we we end up getting sick, uh, not just mentally but physically. We we miss experiencing the glory of life, and and probably most importantly, compassion doesn't flow out of us. And uh, but the story of Job is is Job doesn't get his family back. Uh, but the book of Job ends in chapter 42 with one, he says, now I've seen you. He, he has an experience of God that's different. I used to hear of you. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And and God prospers Job again. He ends up with another family and lives to an old age. He has children to the fourth generation. And the Bible just speaks of him as blessed. Things are not the same. But he's referred to as a Job broken and changed man. Uh, he's referred to as God calls Job my servant. And uh, suggesting a very close, a bonded friendship. And and then his three friends, the religious friends that tortured him for 35 chapters, you know, you know, Job actually prays for them, blesses them. Uh, it's amazing, isn't it? And and so, you know, Job is, again, a great example of someone whose soul is just broadened through loss. And great leaders are great grievers. Why? Because God expands us. He changes us. He does stuff in us that can happen no other way. And so listen, you will face many deaths through your life. Uh, You may be in one right now. It does not have to destroy you or crush the life out of you or your spirit. Uh, You can allow it to go Jesus' way and let it open you to to new life. Uh, Let it open you to new maturity. This podcast I know is, this is an equipping for you to grow up and mature like Jesus. It's, it's very, regardless of your age, uh, this is moving from being a, a baby to being a mature adult in Jesus, man or woman in Christ. And, uh, you know, Jesus took it all on himself, our sins. He was crucified, God, on your behalf and my behalf so that we might live. But Jesus' path is our path. There is a movement through uh, death, burial, that we must walk through to get to the other side of resurrection. And uh, so, actually, this is a gift that God's given you. So, let me invite you again to send me questions or topics or thoughts you have on social media, whether it's on Twitter, Facebook, you know, at, you know, Pete Scazzaro. Uh, I'm engaged there. Or, or, or send me an email at info at emotionallyhealthy.org. And love to hear from you as I'm pioneering and learning how to this whole podcast world. And I love receiving topics and questions uh, from listeners like you. So and I'm going to invite you to go with uh, me to emotionallyhealthy.org, our website. And we've got a great assessment on that uh, page that you can take in 20 minutes at Am I an Emotional Infant, Child, Adolescent, or Adults? And it's a great 20-minute assessment. Highly recommend you take it. Share it with your friends. It's a fantastic tool. And again, join us uh, uh, to, to engage these discipleship courses that we've developed. Uh, look it up on our website get some training, bring it to your folks around you. At the church, we might be the gift to the world that God intends. Thank you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.